Hello there, and welcome to What You May Have Mythed, and the first of these shorter weekly episodes where we will discuss everything from myths and legends to folklore and history. This will also provide a platform to get into very specific topics which you, the listener, can choose. Just drop me a message on TikTok or Instagram, or ping an email to themythspodcast at gmail.com. And that's exactly what's happening today, as I asked my partner Tess to choose the topic of this first episode. And so today, we are going to have a look at wolves and their portrayal in mythology. Wolves are one of those animals that are a favourite of fantasy authors around the world, who use them for a variety of roles. Morgrim, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, was the captain of the White Witch's police and the doer of all the dirty work. Given the religious analogies in Narnia, one could compare him to be a worker for the devil. But then at the other end of the line is the direwolf, the sigil of House Stark in Game of Thrones, a stoic and ancient house who live essentially as a pack, enduring the bitterly cold winters of the North. They're tough, hard to kill, except for Sean Bean, and loyal to a T, so the exact opposite of Morgrim. And then, most recently, and I'm going to use this as my segue into the episode proper, there are the two characters in the Star Wars show Ahsoka who actually carry the names of two wolves from Norse mythology, Balan Skull and Shin Hati. Even their roles in the show mirrors those of their Norse counterparts. Skull and Hati were the offspring of Fenrir, we'll meet him in a moment, and Gulveig, a goddess of magic. There are other slightly differing accounts of their genealogy, but I believe this is the most agreed upon. These two wolves passed their time in what to us today might seem a rather weird way, but to the Norse people centuries ago it made complete sense. They chased the sun and the moon across the sky, thus explaining why the sun and the moon traversed the heavens in the way they do. It isn't clear which of the wolves chased which celestial sphere, but it is said that when an eclipse occurred, it is because either Skull or Hattie have caught their quarry only for them to regurgitate them back out. However, during the events of Ragnarok, Skull and Hattie will completely devour the sun and the moon, darkening the heavens and the earth entirely. Now, as I said, these two were the children of Fenrir, who is quite possibly the most famous wolf in myth. He is the son of Loki and the giantess Angerboda. And before you ask, no, I don't quite understand how Loki and a giantess produced a wolf, but I imagine some shapeshifting was involved in the part the trickster god played. Anyway, after being raised by the gods themselves, they eventually decided that keeping a massive, violent wolf with them could cause a few problems. And so, after two unsuccessful attempts, they managed to bind him to enormous rock with a chain forged by the dwarves. They also gagged him, kindly, using a sword to keep his jaws apart. But out from his open mouth, he drooled. And given that he was an absolute unit of a dog, the drool was so excessive that it actually became its own river that was known as expectation. Like his children, Skoll and Hattie, Fenrir will play a significant role in the events of Ragnarok, despite the fact that he will be killed because of it. At the beginning of Ragnarok, Fenrir will come face to face with none other than Odin himself, 
and after a rather brief scuffle, Fenrir will swallow Odin up, killing him. But his victory will be short-lived, as not long after devouring the ruler of Asgard, Vidar, the son of Odin, will take his revenge by quite literally tearing the wolf in two by the jaw. Much like King Kong does to the T-Rex in the Peter Jackson film of the same name. Fenrir is a wolf father, and a rather savage one at that. But what of a wolf mother? Well, they're very different, and you don't have to go far to find one. If the she-wolf that found a basket containing twin boys on the bank of the Tiber had decided that actually she was hungry, then the Romans wouldn't have had such a fantastical tale to tell to the subjects of their empire about how it came to be. The legend goes that a she-wolf found Romulus and Remus on the riverbank after their grandfather had thrown them into the water on account of not believing his daughter when she said that the god Mars had fathered them. The wolf suckled the children for a short while, saving their lives by providing milk, until a man called Faustulus found them and took them as his own sons. The wolf was always held in high regard by the ancient Romans because of the role she played in the foundation of their city, as they were in ancient Greece, from whom the Romans liked to borrow tales, as the wolf was regarded as the animal of both Apollo and Ares. But I believe that the Native Americans take the biscuit when it comes to respecting the wolf. The wolf appears in the mythology of nearly every Native American tribe, and in these stories the wolf and humans have a symbiotic relationship. In one tale, in fact, the first humans were transformed from wolves. They are important animals that provide protection, company, fierce loyalty, and they still command a deep, deep respect from the Native American communities today. The tales of wolves from these tribes connect deeply with life and death, with one tribe, the Pawnee, believing that the first human death was caused by a wolf, thus bringing death and the underworld into what had otherwise been an immortal world. This tale is also used to show an almost superiority of wolves over us mere humans. So it would appear that we as humans have formed a deep connection and affinity with these four-legged howlers, so much so that we domesticated some of them to keep as pets. Next time you look at your chihuahua, poodle or labradog, just remember that they are descended from wolves. We have also developed a deep respect for wolves over the centuries, despite many groups of them being nearly, or in the case of the UK, entirely wiped out. But hopefully those plans of reintroduction come through, and you never know you might be able to see some of them over here very soon. There are many more wolves in mythology to talk about, so I think further down the line it only makes sense for there to be a part two to this one. But now I'm going to move on to a little section that I'm going to put at the end of every episode called On This Day in History, and it will be a few moments in history that happened around the world on whatever date the episode happens to air. And as today is the 23rd of November, it makes sense to start there. In the year 800, Charlemagne rocked up in Rome to investigate some crimes allegedly committed by Pope Leo III. In 1869, the Cutty Sark was launched out of Dumbarton in Scotland. She was one of the last clippers ever built and is the only surviving one, and you can see her at her dry dock in London. And on this day in 1963, the very first episode of Doctor Who aired, and it's still going strong to this day. 
That's all from me today, but if you have any questions about anything you've heard, or you would like to make a suggestion regarding what an episode should be about, then drop an email to themythspodcast at gmail.com, or ping a message on TikTok or Instagram. But now I shall leave you in peace, until next week, where you will hear me again for another episode of What You May Have Mythed. <laughs>